0: This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. Okay, we want to welcome our online listeners. We are in the process of dissecting our passage today, which is Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60. And I really want to encourage you to look up this passage as you're listening to the message. And this passage is very special to me because it was uh, given to me by my mother um, a couple years after I was saved. And the whole passage is having to deal with the issue of resisting the Holy Spirit. And what I'm talking about this morning is how the enemy gets in there and and tries to create resistance so that we are turning around, and resisting the Holy Spirit, which is turning around and literally acting like murderers and betrayers to Jesus Christ, whom we claim to be our Savior. Let's take a look at this in in detail. The last half of that passage is, first of all, now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at Stephen. Stephen. That's like us gritting our teeth like, I don't want to hear this. Now it's also one of the consequences of going to hell, if you remember. Eternal flames burning you, but your flesh won't catch on fire. And gnashing of teeth. Constant anger. See, the very thing you do to resist the Holy Spirit is what you get when you go to hell. That's the irony of this. They don't get it yet. But they will get it. And all the ones who heard this initially definitely see it and are experiencing it today if they didn't receive Jesus Christ. There's so much prophecy built into the book of Acts it's ridiculous about the book of Revelation. It's just setting us up to openly and rightfully uh, understand the book of Revelation. The scripture goes on and says, But being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears. La, 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 la. That's going to work. They're acting like three-year-olds. They think by putting their hands over their ears, it's going to stop the Holy Spirit from cutting them to the quick. You see, we don't have preachers like we used to. Remember those days when the circuit preachers would come into town and do revivals and you would have testimonies of ten 20, 50, 100 people getting saved in one tent meeting, sometimes if you talk to Billy Grant's people, those tent meetings would go on and on and on because people were so fired up about not catching on fire. Gone are those days. The worst form of resistance to mankind is complacency. You see, someone, if you brought a tent meeting in, you set up the tent, you bring in the preacher, he's preaching, quote-unquote, hellfire and damnation, and he is just, he's just throwing cleansing onto the people, and this cleansing hits them, and they literally go to their knees and beg and plead with God for healing. That's how it worked. That's what preaching used to do. No, now we have been covertly cuddled by sin. We have had our hearts covered with flesh. We are acting uncircumcised, which means there's an infection inside of us. And it slowly, just like infections work, slowly creating more destruction. So when viruses your body is not able to sustain and fight it off. You want to understand the supernatural? Understand your body. And that's out of Romans. God gave us the natural things to understand the supernatural. You can look at a tree and figure out how God works. Those people are too bored to do that today. They are coddled and cuddled with sin. Their resistance is covert, not overt. Back in the 40s and 50s, it was overt. I'm not going to go hear that, preacher. See, God loves a cold sinner. They're easy to deal with. Or his wife says, well, I'm going. Well, take your Bible and go. That's a hot one. But see, it's the lukewarm. See, he likes hot and he likes cold lemonade. But lukewarm, he spits them out of his mouth. You know, if I was Satan, God forbid, but you know, if I if I was Satan, I'd go, Well, lukewarm's what's that then. If he likes the hot and the cold ones, the cold sinners just say, No, I'm not listening to you. Well, you can just break that one down so easy it's ridiculous. But the ones that kind of go, Oh yeah, I prayed that prayer when I was 7. Yeah, I read my Bible every day. I go to church. Jesus sit on the second pew that closest to the window. You see? Those people are the worst. You can't tell a lukewarm person how to be hot. They've worked their entire life not to be hot headed. Some of them are even on medicine. They go to anger management meetings, tell them to sedate, 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 sedate instead of being real. So you can ask them, what you so angry about, George? I just hate life. You see, that's real. You can deal with a cold person or a hot person. But the person who just can't be cleansed, they just don't want a bath because they think they're clean when they really stink. It's really hard to convince them they need a bath. Lukewarm. Stephen is dealing with a generation of hostile, cold unbelievers. And they do outward things when they don't want to listen. They don't sit there and listen to Stephen and go, he thinks he's something, doesn't he? Oh, he's talking to God now. So that's a lukewarm person. They use their intellect to control their anger. But you see, they didn't they weren't like that. They literally took their hands and went, Ah! Shut this man up! Because he was hot. So hot they were being fried and seared in their conscience. They were He was creating resistance where they had to make a choice of resisting the liar and obeying the true-sayer or resisting the true-sayer and submitting to the liar. That's what Stephen was doing. Oh, God, please bring that kind of preaching back. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, Lord, Do not hold this sin against them having said this he fell asleep. The term fall asleep is a very curious term particularly used by Jews. I don't know if you know this piece of truth or not. But the Jews believed and they do to the very end by the way. They don't change this belief because it's in the book of Revelation when the two final prophets have to let their bodies lay dead in the street. So Deborah how long does the two prophets lay in the street four days why is it four days not it's historical you can prove me correct by literally looking at Orthodox Jew doctrines they believe it then back then they believed it in the final hours because the two prophets have to let got us to let their bodies stay dead in the street four days days why four days is because three days they believe that their spirit still stays close to their body the reason why you didn't put someone in the tomb or in the grave or in the ground until after the third day or really the turning of that day is because of what I just said to you you might not believe your traditions but your traditions will win a hundred times down It's the way it works. The Jews believe you are asleep for three days. It's the way they describe this three-day period. And so when Jesus stepped in to raise someone from the dead, and he says to these gals, for he is only asleep. But the way Americans would define it is he was dead as a doornail. Jesus too honored this three-day period. His crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection honored this three-day period. This is not something that is from some country's culture, even the Jews. This is something from God. No, there's no evidence and there's no scripture that says that spirit is still inside of that mortal body. But that's when you hear the term falling asleep or they are asleep versus they are dead. That's the separation mark. And God wanted those two prophets, is wanting those two prophets, to lay in the street past three days so the Jews, when, they, when God raised them from the dead, the Jews would not consider them, oh, he was just asleep. They were just asleep. That's why. We're going to talk a lot about that in our series of book Revelation. A lot of misunderstandings because people don't understand Jewish customs, which happen to be how God does things so this is critical he fell asleep his spirit was separated from his body now we don't know what happens after that I know people write books about it I was in heaven for seven hours and then came back and so we don't even know what really goes on in the spirit world during those three days it's none of our business so we shouldn't even guess but what I just shared with you is history Jewish history Hebrew all and history okay let's talk about the practical things of resisting Jesus what ways do you and I persecute Jesus you want to just give me a few examples real examples in your life okay what you do under the least of these brethren? Stephen Stephen why are you persecuting me you can do your own uh, word uh, study on the word persecute or persecuted. I'd really encourage you to do that because you'll be blown away if you are an Indwell Christian. There's no way you cannot be impacted by the study of the word persecuted. Daddy. It means resisting. Stephen, Stephen, why are you resisting me? It's not this. It's. I'm resisting him. Resisting is slapping Jesus. Yes. But he says, Stephen, Stephen, why are you resisting me? Life is so easy. It just flows. Just listen by the hearing of your ears of the Holy Spirit and just live it. Why are you resisting me? Why do you have a hard time just obeying when I freed you to obey. That's what's being said. Self-righteousness stinks like a half-dead body. You're not quite dead, but you're rotting from the inside out from this infection. And you stink to others. That's what a resistant Christian's like. It's like Why are you living like this? He's already provided all the answers. The healing ointment. When people say, oh, pray that I am healed or whatever. I'm like, you're already healed. You just have to embrace the kind of healing that God chose to give you. If it's physical, praise God. Few get that. If it is psychological, emotional... Everyone gets that one. We pray for things we've already been given the reveal to. God pulls the curtain. You're standing with your back to the miracle. And you're praying, oh God, please. Your Holy Spirit takes the words up to the Father as we know. And you're praying, oh Lord, please heal me of this, whatever thing it is you're going to put in the blank. And, in, and the Holy Spirit is going... Turn around. Turn around. You see, in my mind, that picture of crucified with Christ, when I pray, I see it in my mind. When I'm singing this song this morning, and I close my eyes, I see that dark flesh man on the cross, and all Jesus is saying is, Stephen, turn around. I already did this for you. But you just want a certain kind of healing. You want the cancer to go away. You want to grow the leg longer. Most people don't want to embrace the reveal. It's resisting the will of God. It's already done. And we spend such labor in, oh, God, please. Oh, God. But you know what? God understands when we act like four-year-olds, He's okay. He's alright with it. He doesn't reject us. Okay. It takes time. God's got to grow us emotionally to the point of being like Paul. When Paul dared to pray three times that it might leave him alone. Three times. I would have prayed that in an hour. If not five minutes. That is a man of faith. And what did Jesus do? This just blows my mind. This is day in and day out and day in. Read the chapter before that passage, Thorn of the Flesh passage, and you'll see what I'm talking about. He went through a list of being shipwrecked and beaten times without number and on and on and on and on. And he wanted this it, this messenger of Satan, a demon, to leave him alone. So three times he prays about it in his entire ministry, at least from what we can read. What's the Holy Spirit do? Well, this is such a significant moment. Who shows up? Red letters. If you get a red letter edition, this is in red. Jesus shows up personally and says, My grace is sufficient for you. It wasn't a two-hour discussion. And what was Paul's response? Now that is a, a short statement. But if you know the word of God it's one of the most powerful ones in the entire New Testament Paul my favor is all you need that's what he's saying why do you want their favor why do you want to brag because he said a few verses before that I'm in the greatest among all braggers it, you have my favor pretty much ends right there no What Paul does, Paul has a flashback of this thorn in his flesh, and then he very quickly says, well, I'd rather boast in my infirmities so that the power of God will be known. So when I hear someone who's praying me, pray for complete healing, really pray hard for this healing, and they're just working and working it and then Jesus is just saying you got my favor what else do you need nothing and so when you embrace that that truth and let it wash over you your conclusion is well great I'm going to boast about my infirmities then infirmity means physical attack but it can be spiritual, mental, whatever it's whatever the messenger of Satan's doing to you You don't pay attention to the demon. You pay attention to the glory of God. Start talking to God, Jesus who's seated at the right hand of the Most High. It's coming at you. Rocks are hitting you. Just talk to the favored one. When you're trying to get advice out of people, sucking it out of them uh, for answers of stuff that's already been given to you, you're even younger than three years of age spiritually. You see, you just need to do what you're told. Jesus just came and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Well, then that's what I'll brag about. <laughs> that was his conclusion. Well, well, then that's what I'll brag about then, from here on out. That I limp, I've got very little muscle left on my back can you imagine the physical condition this man was in after being beaten times without number he's had that times without number he can't even remember how many times he's had those the guy was scarred he was beaten up he was rejected and he said beyond all such external things he carries the burden of the church that was his real burden but he was tired and we complain when we have the flu, we complain when we, you know, aren't looking right in the mirror. We compl- we complain about some pretty silly things. He uses pain and agony and distress to lead people unto himself. That's just it. God does not renew emotion. God renews the mind. Paul Paul my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in what you are complaining about find your complaint and you will find Christ that's what I hear in that passage how do we kick against the incuments or the goads the spur of the living God well everyone does it a little bit different and it is. It's a kick. It's, it's get away from me. Can you imagine Paul at that moment? Jesus decides to step out of heaven and do a little personal one-on-one with Paul. This is 91 years after Jesus died on the cross. Can you imagine Paul responding with, you know, that's not what I, what I want from you right now. Could you just like cry, hold me, heal me, 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 me. Someone please look up Psalm 77 for me. I want to show you what I believe to be the Psalm that literally demonstrates what Paul's going through right now. And it literally shows you what's going to happen when the book of Revelation opens that first seal. We're going to go from whining, complaining Christians to Christians who look forward to being abused. Okay, you want to read the first ten verses for us? Yes. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in
1: distress, I saw the Lord. At night, I stretched out a hearing him. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused, and my spirit inquired. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time?
0: Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has He in anger withheld His compassion? Stop. Keep in mind that God's going to listen to every word that proceeds out of your mouth because He records it in the book of life. So He's not ignoring you. God will not ignore your plea. (laughs) If you do it as a two year old or a 20 year old or or a 102 year old, it's all the same to God. He will hear your plea. He's hearing. He's listening to David. There's 32 references in 9 verses to me, my, I of David. Me, I, can, I, me. 32. Verse 10 is absolutely powerful. Here's when the Holy Spirit stands between liar liar pants on fire he's not calling David the liar he's calling the accuser you liar liar and you know it's going to be your pants on fire for eternity he deals with the accuser of the brethren not David David's the antenna man Just listening to the lies. Me, my, I, me, pain, me, I. That's what he's doing, is taking in the lies. So, let's read verse 10.
1: Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O oh God, are holy. What God is so great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm you redeemed your people. You redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O oh God. The water saw you and The very depths were convulsed the clouds poured down water the skies resounded with thunder your arrows flashed back and forth your thunder was heard in the whirlwind your lightning lit up the world the earth trembled and quaked your path led through the sea your way through the mighty waters through your though your footprints were not seen you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron
0: here David is in the same position that Paul's in In 9 verses, David communicates his despair. God's compassionate God. He's understanding. He feels the pain. he, He was watching the whole thing that David was going through. Probably even sovereignly had control over it. But see, he wanted to lead David to this point of reformation. So he could have transformation. So there's this moment, verse 9, uh, Deborah, read it one more time. Verse 9, this happens.
1: Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion?
0: Oh, God, have you, have you forgotten about me? Me? You know, I'm pretty important here. Well, about that time, I can about imagine what the Holy Spirit's doing. Verse 10. New American Standard says Then I said it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. That is a major shift of doctrine. The first nine verses is me, 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 me and then verse 10 it says There I remember. It's my grief that changed the hand of God. So you see, Paul is was, Paul was in this moment and, and he's, he, has, he has to come to that conclusion. Wait a minute, it's my, it's my attitude about this pain. That's affecting my happiness, my joy, my contentment. And the Holy Spirit is just breathing truth upon Paul. Breathing truth upon David. And thus David says. Well it is my grief. That changed the hand of the most high. 22 statements about thee. Thou and God. In the rest of the chapter. So we go from this enormous amount of me me me. And then this hearing the Holy Spirit. Not resisting the Holy Spirit. In the same psalm. Shifting. Shifting. Mm-hmm. And seeing Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. This isn't about the rocks. This isn't about their nasty attitudes. This isn't about my flesh being opened up by these rocks. This is about you, O God. Psalm 77, I believe, is one of the most powerful passages in the Old Testament. To clearly explain us. The Old Testament to the New. Going from me, me, me. To him, him, him. And it's a lifetime war for us. To deny the self. And proclaim him crucified. Paul got it after that. Clearly got it. Why were you saved? Hopefully it's you will say it's because you were separated from God and you're on your way to hell and you couldn't go past go and collect $200. It's a done deal. You're in trouble. You need to be taken out of the lake of fire, potentially, and put into the living stream. That's a direct action. And that was done through the passageway of co-crucifixion. So why did Jesus work out your salvation? Because it not only says you're saved, but he comes to work out your salvation. In other words, to make that real so that Paul's ministry up to this moment was pretty real. (laughs) He was pretty aggressive with sharing the truth. But there was a piece that Paul wasn't getting in his older age that he got after this moment. And here's what he said. After he said, I'm going to brag for now on about my pain. He said this. Therefore, I will be well content with insults, persecutions. Insults, persecutions, distresses, difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's when Paul made this profound statement that very few preachers preach on at least that I have heard and where he said, for I should have been encouraged by you folks. But he wasn't being encouraged, he was being rejected. He says, I'm not inferior to the most eminent apostle. meaning he picked the best apostle on the face of the earth and he's saying, I'm not inferior to you. The guy knew his job. He knew how good he was. But then there's a comma. And then he says, even though I am a nobody. See, Paul had to realize at this moment to get from here to here, he has to be a nobody. You already have my favor, Paul. Isn't that enough? Anytime you try to prove you're something, you deceive yourself. Paul was still suffering with a little bit of deception there. And he made his switch. Now he's content. Insults, persecution, distress, difficulties, whatever it is. Why did God deliver you? Acts 26, 17 and 18 says, Rescuing you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me it's the only way out you can't go get a degree on this well I guess you can nowadays you can't memorize this scripture and have it work for you it's through the cross. Stephen, just turn around. Oh, yeah. You know you have to relax to die? Do you know that's the principle of the cross? Once you start relaxing and you lose strength to hold yourself up, you suffocate. Permissible suffocation. It's finished. As long as you've got strength push yourself up, stiff-necked, you won't die. Oh, you will sooner or later, because everyone dies, all three deaths. But while you're there resisting, I'm not going to die. I'll show how strong I am. You can't reject me. I'm son of God. No, it's You just settle into death. Then you're going to find life very soon. Now ministering this to others. So ministering the word of God. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. It's the only two things you can rightfully put on your brochure. Prayer and the word. That's pretty much it, Paul. I mean, come on. It's got to be more complicated than that. Shouldn't we start a 501c3 or something to get this thing ramped up? Or it just, That's it. Is it enough? Not for most of us. Testifying of the gospel. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. So that I may finish my course... And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace favor of God. Now, Paul can take the favor that he knows he has from Jesus, and it's enough, and do exactly that. It's not about me, is it, Lord? No. Ministry reconciliation, it's the only ministry mentioned in the New Testament. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's an accounting term and the accounting term is to bring it to an account where it actually balances itself out with what you're comparing it to. The purpose of ministry is to glorify God. 2 Corinthians 9.13 tells us, Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberty of your contribution to them and to all. When Stephen was standing there and he was suffering all this distress and persecution and difficulties he turned his focus away from the pain and he put it on the glory of God and he fell into rest and fell asleep see death always follows contentment good and bad if you're content in your sin you're going to die see if you're content in dying for Christ's sake you're going to die so why you resist why do I resist now the question almost becomes silly so you are called to fulfill your ministry take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it and you can translate that out as take or listen carefully to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may walk it out. Fulfill it. You won't be able to fulfill your ministry if you cannot endure hardship. As it says in 2 Timothy 4, 5, another one of my favorite passages, is, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Whenever I come into distress and difficulty, like I already got some rejection on the the pastel of co-crucifixion. And that stuff strikes me personally. You know what I mean? So if I hear a comment like, you're defacing the face of God, or you know, blah, 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 I could say, oh, you don't know my heart, you don't know what I'm trying to communicate, or you don't know the power of the cross. But no, I take it personally, because it's with this hand, and what was going on in here, my whole life's ambition as a Christian, and everything's being wrapped up into this work. And so just using this as an example, the Lord showed me this week, that is what he experiences when his bride for his son is insulted. He has worked at forming this bridal member and worked and worked and worked so that he could present this bride to his son. And when his bride gets insulted and assaulted, he will take vengeance and of course as you already know that's what the second coming is for so when you take vengeance when you resist because you don't like rejection and difficulties, hardship you're trying to speed up the, the ordained sovereign plan of God dealing with your oppressors and you mess with that You can mess with the face of Satan. He's more than willing to have you think that battle can be won today. And it can't. didn't work for Paul when he demanded it. And it is not going to work for you just like it didn't work for David. You might as well do a verse 10. This is my grief that the right hand has changed. If you don't feel close to God, you don't feel the nurturing of the Holy Spirit, you better check your neck in the mirror. See if you're stiff-necked. The only way that I know of that you can find out if someone is stiff-necked or not is to slap them. God won't slap you. Jesus won't slap you. The Holy Spirit won't slap you. Hopefully a loved one in Christ won't slap you. No, they will. But the enemy will slap you. And God does allow it. Because he wants you to see if you're stiff-necked or if you go with the flow of the assault. By the way, physiologically, there's more damage in you resisting a blow than going with the blow. It's something we teach in karate. It's something we teach in sword fighting. You go with the blow. Don't resist it. Because a stiff neck or a stiff body Is easier to take down The Christ centered discipler We have Christ in us Christ in us Is what forms our identity That's where we get our meaning That's where Paul got his meaning Then his lifestyle And then this is the type of ministry That poured out of him So he became a Christ as life discipler And then as you're discipling someone else, they get their meaning from that, their lifestyle. They end up serving others as well. It is the multiplicity of the exchange life. It's got to start with Christ. Then when the disciple disciples others, you have God's mediator, which would be you and I ministering to someone. Then we have the person we're ministering to. We want them to become the discipler. So on the fifth session... people we disciple they get a homework assignment where they have to go pick a friend to have coffee with once a week whatever I share with them they have to share with their friend you want them giving it away quickly so their life does not turn into the Dead Sea the water that goes into the Dead Sea symbolically is pure and refreshing but see there's no outlet to the Dead Sea as you know And so the Dead Sea kills everything within it. Including you if you stayed in it long enough. It destroys. Stay with me on this. God pours his living life into this born again indwelt lake. He just makes sure the whole river ends up right there. Dumping into your life and you keep it all to yourself, and you don't give it away, you don't get involved in ministry, you don't start assisting and giving it away, pretty soon that indwelt Lake becomes a vessel to kill things and people. Do not hang around a so-called believer who collects the word of God like it's some kind of money change from a thief's purse. And if you think that went through, you'll probably get the picture of why Christ has to come and separate the goats from the sheep. That person, you, me, whoever it is we're discipling, needs to take the person they're having coffee with once a week and show them how to become a lake that opens up life so that it flows from the river into me and in my lake pours out into your lake, pours out, and so forth and so on. We have God, we have the person now who you minister to and you have turned them into a disciple or you're trying to. And what happens is you hear these excuses. I'm sure Paul had a few of them. And that is, well, who am I to do this? I don't know the word of God very well I don't have a counseling degree I don't have a pastor's degree I don't have I don't have I don't have what you're doing is grabbing standards from Satan throwing them at God saying well I don't have these standards of Satan yet shouldn't I go get them sure go spend 180,000 on that that'll be just fine give me a call when you get your degree and we'll get you placed in ministry now that's not how God works God says if you're gonna do some resisting resist the devil submit to God resist the devil and he will flee so you can be about my father's business so as we are actually discipling people they think we're going after pity details what I care about is God taking you as a living vessel to pour the word of God in and through to change another life and so forth and so on what I do care about is your pain that you're taking your social history too serious which are all lies from the past so I don't really care that much about them I don't think God does either Isaiah, excuse me he said behold I wipe away your transgressions I remember not your sins any more. Behold, I will make rivers in the desert. Sound a little familiar? Roadways in the wilderness. Behold, I will do something new. What do we do? We set the entire people helping system up on dragging people through their past and remembering things of the past so they can contemplate on them for some kind of healing reasons. My experience in counseling people who have been counseled by multiple counselors is they're still in need of one simple truth. It's not I, but Christ. That's the one thing they're not being shown. But yet we have a whole system that has been put into society on just dragging people through their past. Talking about their past. And if God says that he wipes them away and he remembers them not anymore, I'm telling you today that as your pastor, I don't want to remember your sins. I want to see them appropriately wiped out of your life and focus on the new pathway, the river of life that's been put into your life. Finally, when that happens, you have God... Primary discipler be like you or me who are ministering to someone. You have the trained discipler and they are admonishing, exhorting, edifying, reproving the new person you're working with. So in other words, I work with Shannon. Shannon works with another guy. Whatever I'm saying, Shannon's saying it to that guy. That guy starts saying it to his brother-in-law, Nick. And that's how the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to survive when they take our books from us. That's how it has always worked. You see? Now, I want to close with this. Can you imagine to take someone and put them in a the position of really having the priorities in order who they're supposed to be ministering to first, second, third, and fourth? And if they get this, the church would be unstoppable. Ministering unto Jesus first. That's right out of Mark 15:41. When he was in Galilee, they used, they used to follow him and minister to him. The whole thing about ministering unto Jesus first. Who ministers to Jesus outside of us? The angels. It's even said in scripture that the angels were ministering unto him. It's all they do for eternity. They minister to him. Minister is not counseling. Ministry is supplying every spiritual need. So we are to do that with Christ. Huh, honey, honey, husband, what do you need today? What do you need that I can take care of so that you can be about your father's business? That's what a wife does. Bride of Christ, what do you need? F- clean floors? Wash your feet? What, what, what do you need? Well, now that you brought it up, I do have a few items for you. Minister to the minister. You see, when I travel and have traveled, I like to take one person who is watching my backside so I could stay focused on ministering to the people. They're always praying for me. They're interceding for me quietly before the throne of God so that I'd be able to minister. And I've done the same thing in traveling with someone who I am the student and they are the minister. That's our job, is making sure everything's taken care of, detail around the person so that the minister can do the job, ministering unto Jesus. He gave us church structure like this, elders, deacons, followers. Deacons are to do all the cleanup work, set up work, tear down work, feeding, clothing, the whole nine yards, run on the, the change purse, everything so that the elders can minister unto Jesus. And then minister with your gifts. We're going to be spending some time on that down the road. And then minister unto the body of Christ. What we have the tendency to do is ministry to the body of Christ first before the unsaved. A newly convert is far more ambitious to work than one who's already been saved. It's proven. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us.
1: Get yourself in a buy, a shirt off your back. Need a floor,
0: need a couch, need a bus
1: back.